Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Father, we gather in, in awe of who you are and what you have done, and in utter gratitude that you have made us yours. And we, we get glimpses, small, small glimpses of what you have done uh, in our own lives. And as we look around the room and as we hear stories of what you're doing around the world, and we marvel that you can accomplish all of that so perfectly in a world that is so broken and in people and through people that are so sinful. And we say thank you. Thank you for including us in that, both in choosing to make us your own and in choosing to allow us to see what you're doing so that we can praise you and our confidence can grow. I pray this morning as we, um, as we remember and as we proclaim our Lord's death through partaking of the Lord's Supper, um, Jesus, we want to make much of you. We want our hearts and our minds to be tuned to who you are and to what you're doing. Um, and we want this time and, and my words and the songs that we sing to be not about us, but about you, so that you are greatly glorified. In your name we pray, and through your blood we gather. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we are wrapping up our summer sermon series called Following Jesus. Uh, to be crystal clear, we are not wrapping up Following Jesus. We're just wrapping up the sermon series with that title. We continue following Jesus. We started the series... Um, on June 18th, when, when Jesse Meekins was here, and he pointed us to the one that we follow, Christ the King. Then Ted Paul uh, shared uh, on a couple Sundays some practical uh, tips about following Jesus at a very practical level and in relationship with one another, uh, with those that, that Jesus has chosen to put us around. And then Jeff Lewis walked us through uh, this reality, the two-sided coin of faith and obedience that, that is how we follow Jesus. And then last week we talked about following Jesus intentionally in light of who he made us and why he made us. And then today we, we've completed the series very appropriately by partaking of the Lord's Supper and reflecting on the hope that we have in Jesus. Our hope isn't um, in, in us it, individually. It isn't in us as a church. It isn't in a new pastor. Our hope is in Jesus, and we follow him with hope and with full confidence, both individually and corporately. I think I've shared about this in a sermon before, but for one of my seminary classes, I had to visit a Hindu temple and observe their worship um, to try to understand their religion a little bit better, and it gave me a glimpse into how Hindus worship, um, and it we found a, a mosque, uh, not a mosque, a Hindu temple in the Chicago area and, and uh, visited their website. And I learned a lot from their website alone. Um, and if you're going to worship at a Hindu temple, at least at this Hindu temple, uh, it's a good idea to arrange it online ahead of time. Um, you can go to the website and you can choose which god or which deity, as they call them, you want to worship. So there's a, there's a long list and you choose which one you want to worship. And then you can select your offering package. What do you want to offer to this God? You can, you can choose, and there's small ones that are inexpensive, and there's big ones that are considerably more costly. You can sign up for a subscription and just kind of have it happen automatically. 
Um, and then you choose which priest you want to bring your offering to this deity. Uh, and then you pay for all that. And when you show up at the temple, you tell them who you are, and they pull up your records, and they know then which god you're here to worship and what offering you're going to bring and who your priest is going to be. And so they call the priest out, and they give him the offering, and you walk up to the room where that idol is, and you sit down with the priest and the idol and your family, and you worship. And whatever you want to communicate to that deity, uh, even though the idol is right there, goes to the priest. And you communicate to the priest, and the priest is then the one in a position to pass that on to the deity. Whether you're just there to worship and you want to tell the idol how great he is, or she is, or whether you're there with a need and you want that need brought before this God, um, that, that goes through the priest. It's a very tangible way to, to understand a little bit of what a priest does. A priest is a mediator. He, a priest is the one with access to the God that is being worshipped. But from a biblical standpoint, we under, understand priests slightly differently. They are the ones with access, direct access to God, to, to, to worship, to bring our requests and our needs. Um, but in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were worshiping God and the priests were acting as intermediaries, uh, they, they weren't working with an idol made by human hands. Those priests had access to God Almighty, creator of the universe, so that's a pretty big difference. There's not an idol made by human hands. It's the creator. In the Old Testament, um, God set up the system so that once per year, the high priest could come into the very presence of God. And there was a huge sacrificial process that had to happen uh, in order for that priest to be able to enter the, the presence of God. And when he arrived, he had one request for the people. Have mercy on forgive us. That's the one request that the high priest brought to God when he entered his presence directly. Well, today we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus is our high priest. And so that's a very unique relationship because he is God, but he is also there on our behalf. So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 4. It's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open, open those up? Hebrews 4, um, and we are going to get a glimpse of, of our high priest acting on our behalf. A helpful distinction as you work through the Old Testament and passages like this, prophets uh, spoke for God. Prophets communicated from God to man. Priests communicate from man to God. And so God arranged for both directions of communication um, and... Both of those directions of communication come together perfectly in Jesus. He speaks for God, and he is our access to God. Jesus is both our priest and our prophet. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is what we're going we're gonna to walk through today. And it says this, Since then you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. As we walk through this, we're going to see that Jesus isn't like those Hindu priests who for a fee will give you limited access to an idol made by human hands. Jesus is our high priest and in that role he invites us to free and confident and full access to God Almighty through Jesus whom we remember crucified today you have direct and absolute access to the creator of all that is so different from the very sad worship that I, that I witnessed at the Hindu temple it broke my heart Jesus doesn't charge us for that access. He gives it to us freely. He doesn't hold us back and only allow us access through the priest. He ushers us right into the presence of God the Father Almighty. And he does that not because of who we are, but he does that because of who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is. Our, the way we're going to walk through the passage, um, the outline in your bulletin is a spoiler. Uh, it's a very simple outline, but I think it's actually a really simple passage that says these amazing deep things. Jesus gets us, but Jesus isn't us, so run to God. That's what this passage says. Jesus gets us, but Jesus isn't us, so run to God. Let's start with, with Jesus gets us. Um, remember, the priest is someone who communicates from man to God. That's the direction the communication flows. Um, he provides, the priest provides regular, average human beings with access to God um, in proper ways. There are, there are right ways to approach God, and the priests knew those right ways and arranged them so that people like you and I in the Old Testament could have access to God through the sacrificial system. And now, Jesus has arranged that uh, completely for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So let's reread verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. The verse says that Jesus is our, our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. What does that mean, that Jesus has passed through the heavens? Well, it means that Jesus was in the very presence of God, in heaven, and he came here to be with us, and he has now returned to the very presence of God. Jesus passed through the heavens. He was there, he came here, and he has returned to the presence of God. And with that simple statement, the author of Hebrews is pointing out the fact that Jesus has been here, that, that our advocate, the one who is at the Father's right hand, has been here, and he has, he has walked with us, and he has uh, shared meals with us, and he has watched us get sick, and he has listened to us snore, and he has seen how cranky we get when we need to eat, and he has looked into our eyes and seen fear and need and despair. It means that our high priest knows how hard it is to fight the weeds that are growing along with what we're cultivating to feed our families. It means that, that our high priest, he knows a parent's love. 
and he knows a parent's heartache. Jesus gets us. He knows about friendship. He knows about betrayal. Jesus gets us. Verse 14, there's something very interesting there. Because Jesus gets us, because our high priest has been here and understands us, we should hold fast our confession. It's an interesting cause and effect relationship. The fact that Jesus understands us is foundational to the trustworthiness of who he is and the work that he has and is doing and will finish. We can hold fast our confession, our belief, our confidence. Here we're told because Jesus understands us. It's, it's a really interesting thing to put together. But the passage isn't over. And, and as we moved into verse 15, the author of Hebrews affirms this point that Jesus gets us. But then he adds this really important distinction. Jesus isn't us. Jesus isn't us. Here's a dichotomy. We, that's when, when two things don't seem to go together, but they really do. We need a mediator with God who understands us. We need a mediator who gets us, who understands our condition, who understands our frailty, who understands what life here is like. But at the same time, we need a mediator who can be with God. And therefore, it can't be us. We are sinful. We are fallen. We cannot, as sinners on our own, be in the presence of God. So our sinfulness both creates our need for a mediator, for a high priest, and it precludes us from self-representation. We can't be there on our own behalf because we are sinful. We are sinners. And so we need a mediator who understands us, but who isn't us. A mediator who understands our frailty, but is himself without sin. That's our need. So look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. As, as high priest, Jesus is our mediator. He represents us uh, before God. He is there on our behalf to bring our needs and our situations to God Almighty. And this verse affirms what verse 14 says, that Jesus gets us. He's, he's been tempted in every way that we have. Uh, the technology with which he lived was certainly different, but the human heart and mind and broken bodies in a fallen world that he lived around are the same exact ones that we do. Nothing has changed. He understands us. The failures, the hopes, the sorrows, the dreams, the anxieties, the excitement that we live with day in and day out are exactly what he was around every day that he was on this earth. Our high priest gets us. But look again at those last three words of verse 15. Yet without sin. Yet 
without sin. Our high priest gets us, but he isn't us. And that's excellent news. He fully understands our need for God because he knows our frailty, but he has access to God to intercede on our behalf. So Jesus gets us. He understands our weaknesses, but he isn't us. He is sinless. He intercedes on our behalf with this very deep and accurate understanding of what our true needs are. But why would the Father listen? It's one thing for a mediator to bring a request. It's another thing for the one in authority, the one with the power, to respond favorably, to do something about it. Why would God Almighty be for us? Why would he respond to our, to our needs? How, how is it that Jesus can bring a need to God Almighty and, and rightly tell the Father that we should receive mercy yet again? Or that, yes, the Father should dispense the wisdom that we need for this situation. Or that, yes, the Father should have the Holy Spirit comfort us when we're hurting. How is it that Jesus can rightly do that? How can, can Jesus tell the Father that we, rebels and traitors that we are, should receive mercy and wisdom and care and everything else that we need? Redemption. Redemption is how that is possible. Read with me 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot of he's and him's, so I'm going to reread it. For our sake the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He was sinless. The Father made him our sin so that in Jesus we might become the very righteousness of our triune God. Sinless Jesus became our sin and paid for it fully so that we could become his righteousness. Think about it this way. Redemption means that righteousness rather than rebellion is the status of our relationship with God. Because of redemption, righteousness rather than rebellion is the defining reality in our relationship with God. Jesus gets us, and that's great because we need a mediator and a redeemer who understands us. But Jesus isn't us. And that is great because we need a mediator and a savior who is sinless. And he is that. We're going to turn to the Lord's Supper and, and we're going to remember and we're going to proclaim the death of our Lord, of our high priest, of our redeemer. Um, and, and we're going to celebrate the fact that he is right now at the Father's right hand, sinless, and yet understanding us. And because of his work, because of the death that we remember and proclaim today, the righteousness of God, rather than our rebellion, is the defining factor in our relationship 
with God. Men who are serving, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Um, Luke records the institution of the Lord's Supper this way. It says, And he, Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that at your right hand is our mediator, is our redeemer, who understands us and yet is so different from us as one without sin. At your right hand is our redeemer who became our sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And as that occurred, we have free access to you. And we are so deeply grateful. And so we remember and we proclaim with deep gratitude and love and awe. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, when he was betrayed for you and for me, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in, rem in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, how, how easily we eat a little cracker and drink a little cup of juice. And we're grateful for the, the reminder of what you have done. We're grateful that we get to proclaim to one another that we all arrive equally needy. And that the body and the blood that save us are able to save everyone we interact with this week. That's all that they need is exactly what we need. And thank you so much, Jesus, for um, as you endured unimaginable physical pain and suffering, then receiving on yourself, absorbing the fullness 
of God's wrath for our sin, for our sinfulness. We, we truly can't fathom. We'll understand better when we see your holiness, but even then, we still won't totally fathom. And so we say, thank you so much, realizing that our thank you is small in comparison to what you deserve. We long to worship you and thank you as you deserve, so grow us in that. Jesus paid it all, KBC. That is what we remember, and that is what we proclaim this morning. He purchased us out of death, out of rebellion. He gave us righteousness and eternal life instead. Both in, in eternity, when we are in the very presence of God directly, physically on the new earth, um, and right now, as we are in the very presence of God through the work of his Holy Spirit, we have direct access to God Almighty because Jesus paid it all. Look at the last verse in our Hebrews passage today. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus gets us but isn't us, he is able to mediate for us as priests and redeem us as Savior. And the result of that is that we get to run to God. We get to run to God because of the work of Jesus. Let us then, is how this verse starts, because of what verses 14 and 15 say, because of what Jesus has done and because of who he is, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We, need to, we get to approach God's throne not wondering if he'll banish us, not wondering if he will actually listen to us. Um, we get to approach with confidence. We get to approach the throne of grace with confidence. We don't have to wonder if God is going to hold back on the mercy and grace, if he's going to kind of hold them close to his chest, deciding if we have the merit to receive those at this particular moment. No. Jesus, is, the Father is so satisfied in Jesus' work that, that that question is answered. We get the fullness of God's mercy and grace for every need that we have. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Think about that. It's startling. God's response to us is as favorable as if Jesus himself made the request. That's an amazing thing because we've all sinned today. We arrived bringing our rebellion with us. And yet when our request arrives to the throne of God Almighty, he answers not in light of our sin and our rebellion, but in light of Jesus' righteousness. I appreciate the amens. That is a good, it's like the amen section today. It's great. Um, preaching is a very interactive thing, believe it or not. 
Preachers love your responses and feedback, uh, so don't worry about holding back. We can, we can be a little less Swedish in that regard. It's okay. <laughs> Why is it that when our request arrives to the Father, he responds as if Jesus himself had made that request? There's, there's two reasons that, that I thought of as I was meditating through this. First off, that is Jesus' role as high priest. He is actually the one passing on the request to the Father. So our request gets to Jesus. Jesus passes it on to the Father. It's the role of the priest, right? In that Hindu temple, even though the Hindu worshiper is sitting here and the idol is right there, the request goes through the priest to the idol. Our high priest brings our requests as his own to the Heavenly Father. And when Jesus makes that request, the fact that he is making the request carries with it uh, the guarantee for the Father that this request is from one of his blood-bought saints. Jesus is interceding on behalf of those whom he has redeemed. There is no doubt about that. There is no question should this request be met. We are his blood-bought saints. The second way that, that that request is coming from Jesus himself is that we carry the righteousness of Jesus within us. We certainly carry that righteousness in a broken body and in a fallen world, and so we have this internal struggle every day of our lives, but we still have the righteousness of Christ. We can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because when we arrive, the Father isn't disappointed that we're back. He isn't there going, oh, Jeff again? Why can't Ben come this time? <laughs> He's glad that I'm there. He isn't reading through my last 24 hours worth of thoughts to decide if he should respond. He sees the righteousness of Christ, and he says, yes. Let's pour out all the mercy and grace and then some that Jeff could possibly need in this moment. And I don't know about you, but I, I certainly live in many situations when I don't know, I don't know how to pray, right? That, that we say, okay, I would love for this to happen, but I don't know what God's going to do. Or we, we know how we want a situation to go. But we might realize that we are very limited in our capacity to understand the fullness of that situation. Um, or maybe we arrive with some selfish intentions in our prayer because we are still fallen, sinful humans. Well, there's this great check and balance for us in the process. Listen to what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the check and balance. We can pray the best way that we know how to for a situation. We get to run to God. Jesus purchased that privilege for us, and we should confidently approach 
the throne of grace. And we express our prayer however we're able to. Sometimes the pain that we're going through precludes us from being quite as spiritual as we possibly could be at that moment, and that's okay. Sometimes our confusion about a matter means that we're just not thinking clearly about it, and that comes through in our prayer. And that's okay. Because there's this mysterious way that the Holy Spirit and Jesus work together to upgrade our prayer, to translate it from our will to God's. So that what lands to God the Father is what should get there. And what we receive is what we actually need, not just what we think we need. This is my sanctified imagination making up a scenario. So please don't listen to this with biblical authority. Um, this is me trying to understand how Romans 8, 26, and 27 happens. Um, but let's say that I'm in a hard situation in a conflict with someone and it's just not getting resolved. And, and I pray. I say, Father, this conflict is killing me. Please end it quickly. Please bring resolution quickly. Amen. That's the extent of what I know how to pray for at that moment. And the Spirit fixes that and he knows what's in my heart and in my mind. And he knows the will of God. He knows what God is up to. And that gets passed on so that what our high priest, what my high priest, Jesus, expresses to the Father might come out something like this. Father, Jeff is in a hard spot. He's one of ours, so we're going to extend unlimited grace and mercy. But he's more selfish than he realizes. And he isn't trusting us fully. So we need to be patient with him. And we need to strengthen him. And we need to care for him while we are helping him see his sinfulness and trust us better. So in order to accomplish that, we're going to send a series of our saints that are just going to make casual comments that will be more encouraging to Jeff than the person saying it realizes. And we're going to make sure that he encounters snippets of truth from our word and songs and in things that he reads and sees to keep him moving in the right direction. And I've arranged his time in our word so that his heart is getting softened. And at just the right time, he's going to come across what we wrote 2,000 years ago that he needs to convict him of his sin. And our work will be done in him. And then that Sunday is going to be Lord's Supper at church so that he is reminded of what we have done and of the need to be reconciled with his brother. So let's do that, Heavenly Father. And the Father says, yes, let's do that. And all that happens in my life so that the will of God is accomplished in my life and not my simple and short-sighted desire to get out of the conflict. We have this check and balance, brothers and sisters. We can run confidently to the throne of grace because the Spirit upgrades our prayers to be in line with the will of God so that when our high priest expresses them to God Almighty, they are right. We don't have to... Our, our, our incompetence in understanding life and in understanding and seeing our own heart doesn't need to hold our prayer life back. Our Heavenly Father loves it when we arrive and we get to express what is on our hearts and what is on our minds. And his will is still done in our lives. Jesus purchased 
that privilege, we get to run to God. Jesus gets us. He knows our frailty. But Jesus isn't us. He does not share in our sinfulness. And through his mediation and through his redemption, we get to run to God, family. We get to run to God. So what's going on in your life? What is a situation um, that you look back at the last week or two and you desperately need help with? Or what do you know is coming up in the next week or two that you desperately need help with? Is there a broken relationship you long to see restored? Is there conflict that you long to see turned into peace? Do you have a loved one who is flirting with spiritual disaster or maybe very practical disaster and making poor choices? Is there a decision that you're facing that you have no idea what to do with? Is there a life change you would love to see happen but isn't happening yet? Do you need wisdom to raise your children? Do you need patience with your spouse? Do you just want to be a better spouse or parent than you are now? Is there secret sin in you that you really need dealt with? Or do you just kind of everything's okay you want to follow Jesus better. Regardless of where you're at in your experience today or yesterday or tomorrow, run to God. Jesus purchased that for us. We get to go to the throne of grace, KBC. Let's go there together. Let's not meander there. Let's not walk there. Let's run there. Because God Almighty, creator of the universe, is ready and willing and excited to pour out all the grace and all the mercy that we need for whatever we are facing today. And his spirit is with us, and his mediator, our mediator, is at his side, and our ignorant and incomplete prayers get upgraded so that the work of God happens in our life. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, this instant, we are in the presence of God because your, your spirit is with us and your righteousness is within us and you as mediator are, are right there representing us. So standing in Sycamore, Illinois, in a, in a sinful body with, um, with my rebellion, with our rebellion still very much intact, we get to talk to you directly, God Almighty. What a privilege. Thank you so much, Jesus, for arranging that. Thank you so much for purchasing that for us. Would you overcome whatever it is in our hearts and minds and lives that keeps us from you and help us to run well to the throne of grace together? In your name we pray.
Saint 